Music, news, entertainment, it's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we chat with pop trio Avenue Beat, who have been embraced by fans all over the world for their viral hit, F2020. We also speak with artist and producer Freddie V of Freddie V and the Foundation, discussing their new EP called One Step, which is rooted in vintage funk with tones of 80s and 90s sounding R&B. And our music editor, Sharon Hyland, is here to discuss concerts and live events moving forward in a post-pandemic world, as well as the Grammy nominations controversy. The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us on the show is Avenue Beat, a group from Quincy, Illinois. And Sam, Savannah, and Sammy have taken 2020 by storm with their hit song, F2020. Over 50 million global streams and over 16 million views on TikTok. Ladies, what a year. What a year. Oh, boy. <laughs> Understatement of the century. I think, like, obviously it's, it's horrible for many people, but for you guys, it's kind of working out, right? I mean... So yeah. far, life gives you lemons. <laughs> you you chuck that lemons at the year that you've been you've been having, and then away you go. So I have to ask how three theater nerds, because I read that from Illinois, managed to move to uh, Nashville and have this like pop music career going on. How did that happen? Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We, we yeah we I mean we just started singing as friends, and I think we just kind of kept doing the next right thing on accident. And now here we are, and we're just kind of like, what's going on? We're just chilling, really. That's how we got here. That's so cool. Now, do you like being in Nashville? Because I think a lot of people in pop would have headed either to Los Angeles, most likely, or maybe New York. I think most people think that Nashville is country, so confirm or deny. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of the, the stereotype Nashville gets, but it really is, I think especially more so now, it's less about genre and more about just like writing good music. Like, I'm so happy that we decided to come here first because, like, we really learned how to, like, write a song and, like, respect for the song. And, yeah, and it's, like, such a close-knit community. It was a great place to, like, kind of grow up in a songwriting sense. Now, talk to us about the songwriters in Nashville because I know that I think for a lot of fans outside the industry, they think it's, like, like all these songwriters, but it's probably, like, a small-knit community whether you're L.A. or Nashville, right? I think so. You pretty much know everyone else. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Now, did you have any clue that F2020 was going to go bananas? Zero. (laughs) We literally just threw it up on TikTok because we thought that would be the only place it could live because we said the F word so many times. Got it. And so was the song actually finished when you put it on on TikTok or not finished yet? Nope. Nope. (laughs) Literally just a verse and chorus. We wow. finished it shortly after. <laughs> okay, so was there like panic mode to get it done? Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was weird because like we had such a short amount of time to do it, but also we just, it made us not overthink anything. So we were just like, okay, it works, it works, cool. Awesome. Now, what was it like to start seeing those numbers go bananas on TikTok? Insane. It felt like a prank. <laughs> it felt like a prank. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> It was super weird. We just kept like checking. We're like, is this actually happening? <laughs> wow. Now, did you guys do the lyric video pretty soon after that to have that ready for, for fans or? I think so. Yeah. 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 That happened months ago, which is okay. like a year in quarantine time. Yeah. <laughs> So you have had a bunch of celebrity support. I know uh, support from Justin Bieber, uh, BB Rexa, I think Marin Morris. Like, who has freaked you out the most that you've, like, heard from or know that they have appreciated the song? Will Smith. Will Smith. Will Smith. And so what was the contact with him? Did he actually message you or you saw, like, an online 
thing. He made an entire video to our song. Just like I posted it on his Instagram feed. Yeah. <laughs> and we we were we were just like running around the room screaming. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Now have you actually physically spoken to him at all? No. No. Next time. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> we, we don't want to bother Willard. Okay. We do not want to bother him. He was probably busy with that um HBO reunion with with the Fresh Prince cast, so maybe I know. Yeah. I'm excited about that. He's, he's got more important things to do than talk to the likes of us. <laughs> So you have to tell us because being in Canada, obviously we are huge fans of Jesse Reyes. So, Aww. so how did this collaboration come about? Because first of all, your original F twenty twenty is amazing, and then it's like with her on it, it's like amazing again. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh my That's god! That's so nice. She slid into our DMs like shortly after we put out the song. It was just telling us how much she loved it and then i think we kept in contact and it kind of just happened naturally it was so cool she she freaking slayed that verse <laughs> yeah we were like way to write a verse better than ours but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine and so did she like you obviously you did it virtually so she i'm assuming was in toronto or wherever and then said it in. now something else that i thought is particularly interesting when i was doing the research is that you guys seem to do all of it right like you're writing it you're producing it all that stuff. And I think it's amazing for women in 2020 to be doing this as a, uh, and getting acknowledgement for it. So was that like a conscious choice or is just who you guys are? Both. Um, both? <laughs> yeah. I think it, it just kind of happened. Like I started producing when I was like 15, yeah. just cause I learned on YouTube and I wanted to. And I think it, that's a lesson in itself. Like it doesn't need to be a thing. You can just do whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and, and I mean, and we've you know we've had people do like demos and all these great producers try all this stuff, but the only person who's actually ever like nailed the sound is Savannah. So <laughs> yeah. it just it makes logical sense. Yeah. So do you all play instruments too, or how does that work? <laughs> we we play to sing, not the other okay. way around. <laughs> Got it. And and do you guys have like a like a system like how it works for writing your songs? Because as I told you off the top before we started the actual interview, like I'm now slightly obsessed with all three of you and, and like this, like your sound, like how would you describe your sound? Like, I think it's kind of like funky hip hop pop. Like, does that make sense at all? Yeah, I'll, yeah take sure. it. I'll take it. We don't really know what our sound is. <laughs> Honestly, we just, we go into the writer's room and we're just like, we have no idea what we're going to create. We just want to, want to create <laughs> yep. whatever we're feeling our souls that day. <laughs> And your lyrics are, I think, really authentic and original. Do you think that's part of the reason why you're, it's translating well with fans? Because you're not just saying, like, hey, hey, my hands are in the air, waving like I don't care. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I think it's cool because the lyrics that we write are usually just us complaining about, like, specific experiences in our life, like, really specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that other people can relate to that, too, even though it's, like, really just about our lives. Yeah. <laughs> That's our own personal therapy session, usually. Yeah. That's cool. Joining us on the show is Avenue Beat. Make sure you hit up their website for all their social media, avenuebeat.com. Let's talk a little bit now about the fact that F2020 has gone bananas and ridiculousness. Like, have you been able to take it all in? Yeah, yes and no. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange because, like, I know it's happening and, you know, we, we now, like, do more interviews and all this stuff, but also a lot of the things that I think would be like indicators of success in the normal world kind of aren't happening like going on tour going on like you know like meeting people in person and getting to do all this stuff i mean it's kind of nice because we get to meet people but also we're like resting ourselves very well and we're not like 
exhausted from the road or anything. Yeah. So we're looking at the bright side. We're going to look at it, the glass half full. I was uh, interviewing Tones and I a couple of months ago when we were sort of full uh-huh. on in pandemic. And obviously we're still on full in pandemic, but I'll call it wave one or first wave. And <laughs> she, she mentioned she was in Australia at the time uh, at home. And she was kind of like, I don't know what the word would be, not sad, but sad because like, obviously Dance Monkey has done amazingly well for her and she mm-hmm. normally would have been hitting the road and coming to Canada and like all over the place to, to produce, uh, promote yeah. songs. You guys are kind of in the same boat a few months later. Do you guys, like, are you, are you anxious to be able to hit the road when things are safe in 2021? Yeah, but I also love chilling too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just want everyone to be safe. So, yeah, you know. that's, yeah, that's the most important thing. Has it been challenging because you guys do all the different parts, I'm assuming now you have probably some sort of level of a team behind you doing some of the setting up the interviews and all that kind of stuff. But do you feel like there is a, a bit of a pressure because not only are you artists, but you're all entrepreneurs now? <laughs> oh, I don't like that. No, no, <laughs> Sounds like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> do each of you like divvy up maybe like somebody handles Instagram and somebody maybe handles like doing some of the artwork? Like, I don't know. Do you guys do it that way or? It's whoever does whatever. This is kind of... That's good. We're not good entrepreneurs. We need to be more. <laughs> That's all good. Now, I have to ask you, too. Um, have you guys, any of you, been to Canada at all, even for a vacation when you were, like, a kid or something? No. No. I, I would. I want to. to. I'm in love with Canada. Yeah. Okay, great. Do you have any idea? Because I asked this, actually, funny enough, of Tones and I, especially because she's from so far away in Australia. I said, what is your thoughts of Canada? I'm like, do you picture us hanging out with polar bears? And she's just like, not, not exactly. She thought we had a lot of moose. Um, but, but like for you guys, obviously we're just a bit north of you. Like we're the, the upstairs neighbor. Cause I know that we get a lot of credit, especially in Montreal because we're crazy banana music fans. So like, are you excited to, to go to places like that where we're like just fans of music? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Anytime like we get to meet, there are just like certain communities that just like love music they don't care about like cool factor or all the like stupid periphery they just love mm-hmm. music and the love is so genuine it's like yes that's why i like doing this i forgot for a minute you know <laughs> now before i let you go i wanted to do this thing that I, I call breaking it down so it's breaking it down with avenue beats so you ready for a couple of quick questions ready yeah. i like this okay uh so name an artist and each of you can do this who has influenced you the most in your life oh who wants to start? Oh, man. I'm going to say Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, nice. I'll say uh, Casey Musgraves. Okay. Ariana Grande. Nice. I like that. That's very good. Now, if all three of you weren't in the music business, do you know what career you would have right now? I feel like I'd be a therapist or like a counselor or somebody who listens to people's problems. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I think I'd be either like a tattoo artist or like a hermit. Okay. One or the other. Hermit. I'd probably be like a filmographer or something with like videography. Mm. That's cool. I like that. Um, what's your fave cheat meal? Every meal. I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, I mean, uh, oh, every day's cheat day if you're not trying to get fit. <laughs> I love a grilled cheese dipped into tomato soup. Oh, that's good. That's nice. Um, I like, I mean, it's just my favorite food in general, Indian food with yeah. like garlic naan and oh. <laughs> I love making some greasy Mexican food. Okay. That's pretty good. Now, uh, as we mentioned before, you guys have now worked with Jesse Reyes. Who other, or what other, like, top 40 person, like, pop artist would you like to work with? Anyone who would have us, honestly. (laughs) Um, 
don't know. All right, Robin. <laughs> there we go. That's cool. I wanted to ask you too, because now that obviously you're getting all this love from so many different people and different celebrities and all that kind of stuff, who's the coolest person in your phone apart from your family and friends that you can call or text? That we could call or text. I mean, we could, but we would never. <laughs> never. I guess the fact that we're in a group chat with Baby Rexa called Baby's Babies. Yeah. Baby's okay, babies. so you can reach out to Baby Rexa right now? <laughs> we could. Will she, we? She probably does. Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys should do a, a collab with BB. I think like you guys would totally mesh. Like that'd be awesome. Let's put that in the universe. Let's put yes. it out there. Into the universe it goes. Very, very good. Uh, what's up next for you guys? Like, I know, again, we're still sort of in lockdown mode for the next little while, but do you have, like, specific plans coming up? Uh, we really want to put out some more music. Yeah, in and, and any, any way we can. We just, we just have so many songs that we want to get out to the people. Perfect. And uh, any message for your Montreal slash Canadian fans? We love you! Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you so much. That's awesome. We appreciate that. Uh, Avenue Beat hanging out with us on the show. Don't forget, you can hit up their website, avenuebeat.com. The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us now on The Kelly Alexander Show, someone who we love very, very much, our music editor, Sharon Hyland. Hello, Sharon. Ah, the love goes right back at you, Kel. I appreciate that. (laughs) I love you all the year long, but especially in December. Oh, the holidays. Yeah. Exactly. We're all festive. I've been good, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we have a, a lot to talk about, and I wanted to bring up the first thing in the fact that the other day, um, you and I, we both work for the same media company here in Montreal, and um, we had, a, I guess, like a team Zoom meeting talking about communication and connection uh, in this crazy year that we've been having. And uh, our um, general manager actually brought up that he'd been t- speaking to someone in the, or two people actually, in the, the live concert industry and also in the live comedy show industry and how they've had to pivot and deal with uh, the situation that has been uh, this year. And one thing that he, yeah. he brought up uh, that he said that the live concert person had said um, was that drive-in concerts you know they they're okay but they're not really a moneymaker and going forward when things do go back to normal not sure if that will still be part of the repertoire if you will so as someone yourself who has gone to a drive-in concert do you think this will still have to go on for a bit because even though I know vaccines are coming I still don't know how quickly live actual concerts will happen well like we were discussing um the best part, I think, about getting to a drive-in show for our perspective was just to see how happy the band was to be performing. Like, they were just completely infused by uh, that experience, the thing that they are drawn and intended to do on this earth, which is, you know, perform the music that they write. And so that was really, it was like a proud moment, happy to support that. It was nice to see other people by that point, too, Um I, I love my family and everything, but it was nice to see other people in a social setting. So that it was all pluses. Uh, beyond that, though, we live in a four-season city, so I don't know how effective, you know, a drive-in concert is going to be in the winter time mm-hmm. because it's you can't play your instruments and it's harder to hear the music when your windows are closed and you're complaining about how cold it is. Um, so no, I you, you you can't help but agree with that forecast of how it's not a, a great big money maker, but it was I think beyond um, 
making money. It was the great connection that artists have with their fans. And it was, it was way more about money in that case for me. And I think for them, it was just a, a way to remind us all that what, as long as this year has felt, it's temporary. We are going to get the vaccine. We are going to get to a point where things will get back to whatever kind of normal normal is or will be. Um, so it was a just a nice reminder for for everybody. Before I get to my next next question, I'm going to ask you this one leading up to it, which is um, <laughs> the next next. But you'll ask the next one. Yes, I'm going to ask the next one because it, it leads into my next next one. So. <laughs> With you sitting in the audience, obviously you went in the summer, I think, right? Like June or something, I guess, when that thing went down. Um, uh, yeah. So for you as an audience member, obviously you were allowed to get out of the car, I think, to just stay around your car, though, right? But like sound-wise and yeah. interaction-wise, was it kind of like being at an outdoor music festival? Yeah. And honestly, the whole, the execution of the whole thing was flawless. Like, you got in line to get into the area, you got your car checked and you were, you know, directed on where to go. Cause if you, you could get like a premium package or a regular package, everything was good. Like all the views were good. Uh, anyway, so then you watch a show, you're staying near your vehicle. You could bring food. Um, you could bring drinks, not alcohol. Uh, they had people serving and they had people on uh, roller skates that were doing the, so the roller derby team from Montreal, I believe is who, who staffed that part of the uh, concessions. Um, and then once the show was done, because they had two shows, there was an early one and a later show, Once when we were at the early one, um, once it was done, we were out of there in like five minutes, which is crazy when you think of leaving a major venue like an arena that you know you're going to be in traffic and it's going to be, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you just know is going to happen. Um, but this was like everybody out and it was just complete common sense because you're flowing out nicely and there was no backing up and honestly we were out of that area in five minutes and home not not that much later so it was perfectly compliant with the situation at the time so then my question now is because the the second part of our general manager's discussion uh in this particular topic was that the comedy uh expert and and who's in that um was talking about how for comedians it doesn't really work well with a drive-in setting because of the response time, uh, because you're really waiting for that initial reaction, unlike a band is when I think you just see hands waving a lot of the time anyway. So what do you think about that? Like, yeah, I guess going forward, that's not really a, a good option for the comedy realm of things. I wonder, though, like, I was just thinking that when you watch comedy DVDs or comedy specials on uh, on whatever platform, you know, like, there's a lot to choose from, but those are always filmed in front of a live audience. So, yeah, it's almost like a, um, like, oh, we have a bad connection. <laughs> the, the joke takes a while to get to the cars, you know? Right. Um, and they don't have the ability for eye contact or playing off the audience as much as they would in an, a more intimate setting. So, yeah, you can see how that would have taken a... Uh, a hit, but what we know from uh, the festival in Montreal, which is called Just for Laughs, which is world renowned and, and often referred to as um, you know summer camp for the comedians, uh, I've heard a number of them say that they've missed coming to Montreal this past summer because of everything that was going on, because they get to have so much fun, because the audiences are so great, and because it means uh, a lot moving into their next whatever their next thing's going to be. Like, it's like a great confidence booster and it's a great career starter and there's great opportunities to be learned while they're here. Now, um, 
what they did do was go uh, virtual. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of shows that were put online, so you don't have the uh, like the the mass crowd response. But I know that there were people also in their room, so at least they probably had something that was, you know. Uh, feeding their ego a little bit or helping them remind them that they were funny, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that was a, a, at least a bridging of that distance that you would experience for comedy at a drive-in. This was, I think, brought a little more intimate. They could see people on the Zoom call or whatever, whatever call they were using for video conferencing. Um, so that might have been a little bit better. And I think that they have to think in a progressive fashion, like everybody does, to figure out how you're going to do the thing that you do in the setting that we're in. So as long as you're trying to figure out how it's going to sustain itself, I think that's, that's progress in my opinion, because you're sort of, you have to, it's either you think that way or you're done, you know, in whatever the field. Now it's interesting that you brought up the virtual part of it because I think that, and I I think it's safe to, to assume this, that, artists are are chomping at the bit to get back in front of a live audience like they obviously want that so I know that that for sure will be coming back when it's safe in the meantime there are several artists who have come up with ways of, of getting around that virtually like you spoke about a little uh, just moments ago and one of them just did I think the biggest uh, virtual concert so far in, in in my realm of understanding which is uh, pop star Dua Lipa she just did studio 2054 and we were fortunate for the station that I work with that we actually got to uh, watch it when it happened um, and I have to tell you it was absolutely mesmerizing how they were able to make this work and it be so engaging and you literally felt even though you were sitting on your home couch that you were a part of the studio 2054 club and the fact that they were it seemed that they were in this big hangar kind of thing and they just kept moving from set to set to set uh, fairly seamlessly I can't imagine the amount of work that had to go into making sure that that could all happen with the camera angles and all that stuff and not to mention just trying to stay safe uh, with regards to all the cast and the crew that needed to be taken care of but it was absolutely mesmerizing I suggest anybody that is a fan of pop music and of Dua Lipa to check it out it's live-now.com uh, do you think more of those though will go on uh, maybe as just special one-offs because th- like she at this point uh, and I'm, I'm sure the numbers are rising but it was five million people tuned into that Well, that's incredible. And when you think of it, too, people that are going to shows uh, aren't just there, you know, like, and in a a situation like that, it's not that they, oh, well, I was, I was given these tickets, so I I thought I'd check it out. This is like appointment tuning at its best. So people are there and they're, I think, for the most part, optimistic because they want to hear their artist and see their artist perform live and have that experience. There is undoubtedly um, a measure of well, I wonder how good this is going to be. You know, there's there's a maybe a little undertone of judgment, but ideally, I think optimism outweighs all of that. And then if you're blown away, then you are in. So we've talked about this before, the connection that the artist makes with their fans. This is this is a, another level for them to be able to create those connections. So, yes, I totally think that can work. Perfect. Now, before I let you go, I did want to bring this up because you and I haven't had a chance to discuss the Grammy nomination situation, which has been a whole big uh, hullabaloo, if you will, over the last couple of weeks. And the one the question I I guess I would have for you um, specifically is. 
Justin Bieber, who actually did get nominated, I think it was three nominations and maybe four, um, but he got nominated, unlike The Weeknd, who got nothing, even though he had arguably the the biggest or within the second or third biggest album of the year. So if anyone I is... I find to, that completely, like, I don't understand that at all, yeah. why he wouldn't have been nominated. When you consider that in the, you know, when we were in the first deep end of... Uh, the lockdown for COVID, if all the people that were making their own dance videos to his song, right? That was the dance challenge. That was like the first one that people were, let's do it. You saw every level of, or lack of level of dance ability, uh, and but it was that song. So Nevermore, I th- I think was there a, a better soundtrack song to this year than than one of his singles. So just by virtue of that alone, I'm shocked that he wouldn't get any attention aside from the fact that he's completely theatrical he deep dives into the characters of his songs that's very grammy mm-hmm. you know it's not all sales based the grammys aren't necessarily about sales so it, it he as an artist i think works on a on the artistic side of things and his music is very good and he's proven and can to be completely shut out i'm it's disappointing, but again, the Grammy has the Grammys have this way of uh, two steps forward, one step back, or sorry, one step forward, two steps back with their uh, with their approach to a lot of things over the past many years. Yeah, it's very suspect, and it's funny because the turnaround this year, I guess, on the female side of things, is that I think it was only women that got got nominated in in one of the rock categories. So that's like yeah. crazy, considering Mr. Was it Neil Portnow two years ago was saying that basically yep. I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing, but that they needed to step up, and so yeah, you got to make better music. Oh, yeah, okay. So yeah. now all of a sudden. Only women made better music. Like it's it's suspect. It's, ridiculous. it's really suspect. And then yeah, and it's just it's funny because uh, somebody made the point. I was listening to some uh, some commentators talking about the situation, and it's funny. Like I know when I set up to do an interview. I'm always looking to see if this person has been Grammy nominated or or is a Grammy award winner because it does lend some gravitas to the introduction. If mm-hmm. this is like Grammy award winning sure. producer David Guetta, for example, um, so they still have that shine. Drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they still have that that shine, but in and of itself, the award show is is really suspect. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. just odd and it's and it's upsetting because I actually and I, I'm not sure if you agree, but I, you know, much prefer the American Music Awards, for example, or or even like the MTV Video Music Awards. Like I just feel like they're they get it, uh, in the grand scheme of things. And then the Grammys seem to be, like you said, one step forward and two steps back. My other thought to you, I wanted your thoughts on this, is um Justin Bieber getting nominated, but then complaining that he was in the wrong category. So is that a bit precious or are you agreeing with, uh, like, you know, his, his thought process on that? Well, I wonder, I, I, I'm pleased that he's demonstrated some growth as an artist, as a person. Yeah. Uh, overall, like he granted he was his age and he totally acted his age as someone would with that much money and fame. Um, and so I'm, I may sound like I'm giving him a bit of the benefit of the doubt, but the quotes that we get when they say stupid stuff, they have to have been asked a question. I think we have to presume that they were asked a question. They're not just running around saying, you know, ah, I'm in the wrong category or whatever. I think that someone said, hey, Grammys, what do you think about that? And how about that category? He may have answered just, you know, humbly or 
in his own opinion, but we'll never get the 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 around stuff. We'll only get the the hot answer that's going to you know tweak people's interests. You know. Well, in this case, so he actually that's Baron Highland benefit of the doubt. Well, in this case, the funny thing is, is he actually posted this apparently unprompted to his social media. Like he posted a message to the Grammys unprompted from what we gather. Well, you see then, this is the problem with Sharon Highland. She gives benefit of the doubt to a fault. Like, I'm, you know, I'll look for a way to get you off the hook kind of thing. But then if you're stupid, then just, if you're, I don't know, like, do you want to be nominated or not? Yeah. Yeah. Just either accept it or don't, or pull yourself from, from eligibility. If it bothers you so much, you don't get to control what you're nominated for unless, you don't want to be nominated, then you can remove yourself from. Well, that's from that. it because you have to submit yourself, right? Like, or your team is submitting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just random, you know. So it, it's if you're upset about it, it's just odd to me. And and like I said, I uh, or like you said off the top, he has demonstrated growth. I think he is in a much better place. He does seem way more mature. Um, and I think coming down from the crazy that that was, I guess, eighteen to twenty two ish or twenty three. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely coming down from that, and I appreciate that because he does seem, you know, a lot more humble and and all that sort of stuff. But there's these moments where I'm like, ooh. And and the thing is, he posted this, you know, pretty much after the news broke that the weekend got nothing, and I was like, boy, you're a little tone deaf. You know what I mean <laughs> with the whole situation? Oh, yeah. And of course, there's every artist would, you know, have a uh, a way to argue how the music that they make shouldn't be uh, classified or put in a box or it's not genre specific or whatever. Of course, you know, in an ideal situation, the artists that we love are making the music that, you know, they feel they need to make it. it, it, it it's beyond any sort of classification, let's say, you know, you don't get to choose how this particular award show sees you or how anybody sees you, ultimately, you hope that you are conveying your message clearly, but if it's being perceived as something different, then you sort of just have to acknowledge that, oh, I've got fans in that area. Sharon, thank you so much for this. Always appreciate your time. Kelly, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That is our music editor, Sharon Hyland. Don't forget to check out the podcast that Sharon and I co-host together called 90s Now. Uh, We discuss all things 90s, all things now, and you can find us on social media at 90s Now and, of course, 90snow.com. The Kelly Alexander Show. Very happy to welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show, Freddie V of Freddie V and the Foundation. Freddie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for making time for us on the program and super excited uh, to talk about your new EP, which is called One Step. Before we get there, though, I did want to backtrack a little bit and talk about your uh, career in music. So how did that start? Was it uh, since childhood? Yeah, pretty much since childhood. Um, I was actually born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area, the DMZ, and um, my parents are from West Africa. So my father basically way that we ended up in America, my family in America, was that my father was just, and then, man, 50s and 60s, just Chuck Berry, all of that in the radio in West Africa and Senegal. And um, he got a scholarship to UCLA. So that's how they arrived there. And my father was living in the same dorm room floor as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So just kind of imagine that whole scene um, in the 60s, between 1965 and 1970, my father was there, moved to D.C., and then had all of us. So I really grew up in a household that was full of music. My older brother was a musician and uh, had rehearsals at the house all the time. So it's definitely been in my fiber from birth. 
Awesome. Now talk to us about your influences because I saw something that said mint condition, which makes me excited because I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So I think oh, that's man. I think that's amazing that because I don't th- I don't know if a lot of people that don't like R and B have heard of mint condition. So explain your your love of R and B and where it came from. Yeah, my love. I mean, listen, I'm I'm definitely from the school of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. You know, I think I can say that um, a lot of it, you know, that whole entire camp, which has to do with Prince and the New Power Generation. I think um, seeing Purple Rain and all that from as a young kid, that definitely had a huge impact. And then just pretty much all of the huge, like, funk institutions that we know as America. So dating back from Sly and the Family Stone to George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars. And then you go to late 80s to like, uh, you know, Zap, the Gap Band, uh, Lakeside, you know, all of these amazing bands that really were like pioneers of funk. That's the kind of school that I come from, that modern funk, late 80s type of sound that Jimmy Jam actually, they were part of Prince's camp with the time. And then afterwards, they move over. So I just remember being a kid and uh, when Mint Condition's song, actually Washington, D.C. was the city that broke Mint Condition. When Pretty Brown Eyes came on, I will never forget being in the car and just hearing that intro. Bat, 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 bat. <laughs> I was like, what is this? So, and seeing the band, you know, like I'm, I'm from that school. I feel like the last of the Mohicans, you know, when it comes to like these R&B bands that were really, um, you know, these groups, not just solo artists, but these guys that had chemistry on stage and had amazing records and equally amazing live shows. So I'm from that generation of like, I was a kid when Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were really there, but um, when Mint Condition and The Roots really like appeared, those were like two bands that really had a huge influence on my musicality. And so how did Freddie, Freddie V end up in Montreal if you've been in the States? Because I would have felt like, obviously, Washington, D.C., I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but it's definitely a hotbed of music, especially in the R&B world. So how did you come up here? Uh, it's really funny because like, that's when you ask, all I wanted to do was go to New York. You know, like I applied to, 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 to colleges in New York or whatever, and I was just getting just partial scholarship that just weren't enough. And uh, my cousin was actually up in Montreal, and she told me, she's like, listen, it's still in North America. You can make the drive. Uh, the universities are on level of all the universities that you want to do to go with. It's much cheaper, and you kind of have this, um, this mix between North America and Europe. You know, so my cousin was just like, yeah, just come up here. And I'm telling you, so you just drive down when you get a little bit homesick or whatever. And then so I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I needed a change and whatnot. So and I got to Montreal and I was like, whoa, what is this super eclectic bilingual city, you know, with just so much artistry bubbling. And uh, yeah, and pretty much I ended up here and I ended up staying. That's amazing. And I'm glad it's actually interesting to hear someone uh, describe Montreal in that regard because like obviously I've been here my whole life I did live in Toronto for a while but I think a lot of us always think we want to head to the New York cities of the world or Nashville or Los Angeles so it's interesting to see somebody wanting to come the other way because obviously we do have an amazing music scene here too and especially I would say in the jazz realm like we're known for that now and I think it's just only getting bigger and better so it's really um, a cool description that you've just given so thank you for that because I think sometimes people from here forget how awesome our city our city actually is so talk to us talk to us now about you and the foundation like how did you uh, hook up to become like a group together? Well, I think I can say like the beginning of like our inception was, I have to bring it back a few years back to like one of the last R&B venues in Montreal, which was the Jello Bar. The Jello Bar was a place 
was probably the only place where in Montreal where you can go and see a live band play R&B music. So we were like the young gunners at the time, kind of coming in, trying to get a spot at the club. Like imagine like Purple Rain and, and about five different, six different bands taking over all the weekends in this one venue, you know, and we're like the young kids coming in. That's how it kind of started. And um, so either people were doing like top 40 stuff or they were doing, uh, you know, like vintage 70s, 80s, throwback music. And we're like, okay, so how do we fit in? Nobody knows our original music. You're like, how, how do we do this? And we're like, oh my God. So we're not new school. We're not in old school. Let's be middle school. So we just kind of focused in on 90s R&B. And when we found our niche in 90s R&B, we used to be in that club from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. playing three sets. I'm talking Jeanet, Jill Scott, Lauren Hill. We had a 15-minute hip-hop medley of just choruses going from Biggie One More Chance to Ghetto Superstar, uh, going into the Caribbean stuff, um, uh, No Letting Go, No Holding Back, all those type of beautiful melodies and songs. And that's how we kind of like made our bones here. And when we realized the chemistry we had and it was, we're starting to get good, we kind of were like, okay, we need to do, we need to bring this into the original music sector. And they were my backing band when I released my first solo record. So when we played live, you know, it was just this beautiful experience. We started hitting Montreal Jazz Festival. Stuff was moving and just the chemistry was just so much. And we're at a crossroads in between records. And we're like, guys, I asked my musicians, I was like, what do you guys want in life? You know, what, what are you guys looking for in your careers? And then uh, they told me and I was like, well, I think the logical thing is for us to become a band where everybody writes and everybody composes and arranges and, and, and really puts it in. You guys are not just side musicians, you're artists now, you know? So um, it was a really beautiful, like, transition and, and growth of us coming together. But that's where it all started, you know? In the clubs, it's not uh, American Idol, it's not The Voice, it's not these types of places. It's just that old school of, you know, being in a rehearsal studio, being in a garage, playing, you know, sucking not sounding good at first and then playing <laughs> and then putting the time and then afterwards sounding good so we're like very old school in our approach of how we got where we are today joining us on the kelly alexander show is freddie v of freddie v and the foundation and uh, you can check him out on social media at freddie v music is one of them and also at band foundation so talk to us about the new ep one step i know it's actually um independently put out so that's a, a whole other ball game mm-hmm. too the pressure of having that but in a way i think that's where a lot of people want to be nowadays is not trapped in some sort of shoddy record deal mm-hmm. yep for sure for sure having a being an independent artist is definitely taxing you know you have to you know you have to pretty much be everything you know uh, that's what i'm telling my musicians and it's amazing because i'm actually free because i feel like i have that musical support i'm free to actually be able to do the, the business i feel this year that i'm like running a production company and running a label and that's what it is to be an independent artist you know but at the same time, we do have that ownership, and that's what's really beautiful about all of this. And so um, we're trying to take advantage of that. We're playing the long game, and as an independent artist, it's about playing the long game and organically, you know, making real connections with fans and real connections with people. And so this record, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to really start something that has a very genuine and authentic feel to it that brings people a lot of joy. Like, it's funny because... We created this record before the pandemic and we told ourselves, we're like, okay, um, no slow jams. Let's keep this, you know, dancing. Let's keep this as um, something that's very inclusive. 
where people, people of all walks of life can, can see themselves in it, can see a, a part of themselves reflected in the music. And um, we wanted to pay tribute to the pioneers before us while taking the culture to the future. And um, so in R&B and funk and that modern funk, we're definitely very true to that tradition. But um, also what we wanted to do, we took a trip and I had the chance to perform in my native country, Cape Verde, which is like these islands right off the coast of Senegal and Morocco. And um, that was a life-changing experience for all of us. We were able to go to West Africa and play R&B and seeing how everybody reacted to it. And then afterwards, being in the city for a few more days in jam sessions with other musicians and whatnot, and just exchanging stories and, and musicality and all that. So we were just in airports on the way back. We were just really talking about that. Like, man, there's this, there's this, Af this Afro-pop wave. The world is getting smaller. The United States, Canada, Europe are really being open to really West African rhythms. And it's such a part of our culture. It's part of who we are. We love this music. And how can we find a way to reach out to that side of the world and really bring this into our culture? So I think that was the game changer in the production of this album, that we're R&B, we're funk, we're traditional, but bringing it to the future. But we found a way to incorporate like these Afro-pop elements and to kind of create this transatlantic bridge, if you will, you know? And so that's what kind of makes this project a bit more interesting, a bit, a bit different than your regular R&B funk project. It has that Montreal vibe to it. It has that international, you know, UNICEF, United Nations, whatever you want to call it, diaspora funk. You know, it has this, this international flavor to it. And um, I think that's what makes us unique. And how would you describe the band to someone who hasn't heard you yet? Like, what would be your description of how and, and who you guys are? Well, I think uh, the description is definitely like an R&B funk band, you know, like the ones that you grew up with, but with, um, you know, an Afro-pop influence and an international influence. Every, um, the way the band came together is that every single musician has played with, it's what we call first call musicians. They've played with, you know, some of the best acts coming out of Canada, you know, and they decided, we decided to come together to do something special. And um, something else is that, you know, our slogan is we got something for everybody that you're, somebody will groove to, will, somebody can find something in there that, that, that they will like, you know what I mean? And another thing too, is that the band is super international. Like every, almost every continent besides South America is represented in the group. And um, I kind of give us our name that we are the modern day slime, the family stone. Oh, you cool. Know, yeah. That it's mu music that's rooted in black culture, but that has a very inclusive thing that reflects, you know, the whole entire world. So that's how I would pretty much describe the band, that if you like that R&B band funk influence, but you want to see something that's inclusive and global, you know, that's who we are. You know. Where do you see yourselves going in the next little while? Because obviously a lot of concerts still not happening at this point because of the situation that the world is in. So for fans and new fans, like how can they stay on top of what Fre Freddie V and the Foundation is doing? Well, definitely keep in touch with us through our social media and contact. And as of right now, um, what we are working on is quality live stream shows. That's what we're trying to do and hopefully to kind of be the bridge and tie us until 
you know, hope the world opens back up again and we're able to perform in festivals. Because this show, our goal is to be in jazz festivals, folk festivals, all types of huge festivals around the world where people can come out and see us and be like a family show. You know what I mean? Like we're for all ages, outdoors, 50,000 people. That's what... That's our aim and that's our goal. That's what we do here in Montreal, you know, and we want to bring that experience to the world. But um, I'd say everybody, please keep in touch with us at Band Foundation on all platforms and look out for some of these live stream shows that are coming because with technology, with, uh, you know, the internet and sound and, and engineering, we're working really hard for 2021 to provide some quality content online for people that not only sounds good, but looks good and really gives people this, uh, a great audio visual experience that they, we, they can still connect with until we can meet face to face. Well, Freddie, I appreciate your time so much. Uh, best of luck and super happy to have spoken to you about the, the uh, one step EP. That's amazing. Thank you so much for the invite, Kelly. Much appreciated. That is Freddie V of Freddie V and the Foundation. And again, you can hit him up on uh, the social media at Band Foundation. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the show this week. And a big shout out to our guests, Avenue Beat and Freddie V. My thanks to Adam Brisson for being an amazing producer. And don't forget that you can listen to us on many different podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I'll chat soon. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Click on kellyalexandershow.com.